In this episode of Past Sounds, I learn about the Stone Age in the Finnish Lake region. So this is going back to a time before written records, never mind sound recording. And yet, through my interviewee today, I do learn something about what the world sounded like to people in the Stone Age, and not just how it sounded, but how they might have felt about that sounds and what those sounds might have meant. And specifically, a contrast between the everyday soundscape, something that sounded domestic, sounded of home, and its opposite, somewhere much more special, a little bit dangerous and spiritually very intense, somewhere with sheer rock faces and deep water, and where, because of the echoes of those rocks and the water, the rocks seem to sing back to you if you sing and drum when you drum. In modern room acoustics, echoes are something to be avoided. Stone Age people like to have everything with echoes, so I think that their, their music was uh, designed for this kind of spaces with echoes. So that's Dr. Rita Rainio, who's an Academy of Finland research fellow at the University of Helsinki. She's also an archaeologist of sound, which to me is not really what I expect from the word archaeologist, which makes me think more of uh, someone digging things out of the ground with a trowel. In a way, I'm excavating sounds from the ground in my mind. Uh, I want to know how it sounded in the prehistoric times, in the Iron Age or in the Stone Age. So before uh, music uh, even existed according to music history books. So I, I've never heard that, the idea that of music being, in, you know, having a, a beginning. Well, at school, we are taught that uh, music came to Finland in the Middle Ages when the Christianity came and uh, people started to hear church music. And this music was, in a way, invented in somewhere in ancient Greece. But I'm interested to know how it sounded before that. Do you believe that that's true, that music only came to Finland at that point? No, no I, I, I never... Uh, I never accepted it, so I, I was sure that, of course, there was something, but this, this was what uh, I was taught at school as when I was a child. But nowadays, a bit, uh, thanks to the archaeological finds, we know that music has been there. I mean, musical instruments have been there for, for tens of thousands of years. So, Why do you think people believed in the first place that music could have come so late? Of course, there was there was this attitude that music is something very elevated and it's something very special that we have we have to learn. So and it, it was also a question about the status and hierarchies that music is something that belongs to those levels in society that are in, in power. Yeah. So, so maybe, do, do you think, in a way, prehistoric people were being treated like, um, you know, people in other parts of the world who were being colonised, maybe, or, you know, sort of just yeah. seen as being less than the European ideal? Or? Yeah, exactly. Mm. So the past times were treated in the same way as, as, as for example, uh, societies in Australia or in, in the northern Arctic areas. Sounds are not material, so if you 
study and immaterial things using material source it, it's it's very difficult so my starting point was uh, sound instruments and musical instruments because they are the easiest uh, things that you can find and then after studying bells and whistles and many many sound instruments i suddenly realized that actually the archaeological record as such is full of uh, traces of uh, ancient sounds like for example animal bones tell about the environmental sounds uh, then there are a lot of plant remains pollen that tell us about the plants that were growing around the people then there are tools and actually all artifacts tell a lot about sounds environmental sounds and ambient sounds that surrounded people so and then there are structures that you can find found in the ground that tell uh, about the acoustics okay that's such a lot i don't even know where to start now so so tell me uh, maybe um yeah, so so you you've told me that you you knew to expect certain things, but you realise there's a lot more. Um, I mean, what do you think is out of those things that you um, you discovered? Uh, the, the kinds of evidence. Sorry, I hope I don't know. You might be able to hear my dog messing about. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. There's <laughs> and Gret, I don't know. She's just picked now not to be asleep. With like twenty hours of the day, she's asleep, but she's just picked now to be. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have two dogs too, so don't do be surprised you? if something. You, we might you have both ends yeah. yeah, you might hear finished dogs. <laughs> no, that's not what we need now, is it? Good girl. Um, yeah, so you, you realised there was a, a lot more um, evidence of past sound than you'd expected. So what, what did you find perhaps the most surprising or that you learned the most from? So uh, my current project is, is about the uh, acoustics of sacred sites in Finland, in in the Ural Mountains in Russia and actually in Canada, in North America, they are, they are sacred rocks. They are cliffs that uh, are smooth wall-like uh, vertical cliffs that are rising directly from water, from lakes or rivers. And on those cliffs, the Stone Age people uh, painted figures with red paint in all these areas, these northern areas around the globe. So it's circumpolar culture, actually. So they marked those specific uh, cliffs with paintings. And that's why we know that they were sacred places, because these paintings depict humans, animals, and uh, very different kind of figures that can be interpreted as mythological creatures. and. Uh, Many of them can be interpreted as shamans. So they depict strange rituals where people metamorphose into animals or they are even drumming or dancing, things like that. And what so, so that's yeah. amazing. You have you have them pictorial evidence of sounds being created. Yes. Um, yeah, sounds that old. Yeah, yes, actually, yes. The majority of the figures are not depicting music or sounds, but there are. And the main point in my study is the observation that these cliffs, so the canvases of the paintings, they are highly reflective surfaces. And this means that these places create echoes. So they duplicate sound if you 
pronounce or sing or say or shout something. So it means that they chose to have their rituals at echoing places or in echoing locations. And this means that most probably these echoes, they had an important role in the rituals and probably in the religious ideas that were behind the rituals. So are there any instruments or things that could be used to make sounds that are also found uh, in sites from yeah, that certainly. age? For example, in Finland, we found a, found a rock where there are three figures of drummers. So there are a stick figure of humans holding round objects and the other hand is beating the round object. So we interpreted this with a rock art researcher as drums and we, of course, we have tried how it sounds when you beat a drum in front of these cliffs, and it's it's one of the best uh, uh, instruments to make echoes because you can actually drum with the rock, so that you drum in turns with the, with the echo. So you can make music with the rock, not to the rock, but with the rock, so that the rock uh, takes part in the sound making processes. But but do you feel like when you actually uh, do this kind of experimental archaeology and you try to make sound, does that really change what you learn? Does that add anything? Mm, well, I must say that this, uh, these sites and these whole experiences, acoustic experiences for me, so it's, it has a deep impression uh, affecting my own feelings. So I really have I learned, I would say I have learned to listen to nature because when you're making these experiments, you have to listen carefully, you have to sense everything around you. So, so it kind of sharpens your senses. Then there are those high rocks and then there is this water surface that, that is glittering and shiny and it even makes the reflections, visual reflections made by sun and water, they make actually the painted surface like the figures even moving. So because there are there are more light animations on the surface. So they are very impressive sites. And I must say that it's almost close to a religious experience for myself, even as a researcher and very skeptical. Yeah, so it is a very special place. And um, has it not changed very much since these people were there? Well, well, when when were these uh, drawings made? How long ago are we talking about? So they are usually dated to the Stone Age, which in this case means that they are basically, let's say, 5,000 years old, mostly. But the basic thing is that the, uh, the level of the water, it has often changed or in the rivers. So we have purposely, purpose on purpose, we have tried to make uh, experiments and acoustic measurements at those sites that are unchanged, where the water level of the lake has remained the same since since the paintings were made. Yeah, so you had to work that out before you you went to do, uh, you know, to kind of look at those sites. Sorry, that's the window cleaner needs yeah. to be let into the back. Right, could, could I just leave you just for a second and let the window cleaner in? I'll be back in a moment. Yeah.
okay sorry about that <laughs> no problem um yes yeah, so we were talking about um yes that you you um had to sort of choose sites that were unchanged physically um, yeah. but then um our interpretation uh of what sites mean you know what seems special and what doesn't that obviously changes a lot doesn't it and quite fast so what what did you take into account when you were trying to understand the the significance or the meaning of um of sound and acoustics at the site for those people uh, well of course i've studied everything that has been written on the paintings and how to interpret those paintings but then uh, interesting point is that uh, uh, there are some uh, later traditions that uh, are somehow related seem to be related to these very ancient uh, stone age traditions so for example in in northern europe we have the indigenous sami culture the, they are sami are the all i guess the only indigenous people in europe so they have very interesting tradition of having offering rocks and by those offering rocks they sing with the rocks so one of the fantastic uh, um, sites in my my pro project is that i can use this this sami tradition to compare and have an idea of what perhaps the stone age people were thinking and what was in their mind why they worshipped those rocks and painted them so so what do the sami do when they are singing with rocks uh, they, according to their tradition, the rocks were um, dwelling places or abodes of uh, spirits. And those rock sites were also entrances to the spirit world. And in Sami religion, uh, they had shamanic traits in their religion. So the shamans used these sites to, to access the spirit world. So. The shamans went to the sites, they yoiked, that is chanted there, and they drummed there uh, to induce trance state. And uh, they also uh, chanted uh, summoned those spirits inside of the rocks by chanting their names or imitating their sounds. And when in when they were in trance, uh, they the sources historical sources say that they the shamans also talked and chanted with the spirits. So it means that they also heard the spirits' voices. So this, uh, to my mind, this tradition is a very suitable. Uh, depiction of what you can do at those sites so you can you can run there you can shout and you can chant and you can even talk with those rocks and they uh, answer you and if you we are thinking about shamanic uh, trance yeah, it, it's quite obvious that if you are drumming with not only drumming but, but drumming with the echo and with the rock it kind of uh, uh, gives more power to your trans induction. What else do you know about their sound world? So um, were the natural sounds very similar to what they are now in that area? Yes, uh, for example, pollen analysis have been made uh, near the rock art sites. So and uh, nothing, there is no indication that the 
vegetation was different, very much different from that what it is now. And also the bird bone finds indicate uh, that those species are very familiar. Yeah. So it seems that the, what is most uh, unfamiliar is to us is the sounds that people preferred, for example, these echoes and acoustics, because modern room acoustics, the basic idea is that echoes are something to be avoided. So, uh, for example, in concert halls, there cannot be echoes. So the Stone Age people who like to have everything with echoes, it's so very special and very different from what is nowadays. The okay, yes. So they've they've learned their, their sort of music's developed within that uh, appreciation for echoing and they work with it. Yeah, I think that their, their music was uh, designed for this kind of spa spaces with echoes. Although we don't know, do we, what they might have had more than one kind, um, because anything that doesn't leave physical traces for us, it, it's really hard to tell about, isn't it? They yeah, might of course. Have songs around the at home or something. We'll yes, of course, of course. This is only about these these sacred rocks sites and their music, special music. It's quite tantalising. The more you know, the more you realise you don't know about their lives. Yeah, that's certainly true. So, so um, where were they living in relation to these uh, special echoing sites? Do we know where they were living? Yeah, we, we know that the uh, dwelling sites or settlement sites in Finland, they are not close to these rocks and they are uh, situated in a completely different acoustic environment. The dwelling sites are always on sandy beaches and there the terrain is very smooth and even. There are no rocks at all. So it's sandy terrain and with the pine trees. So it means that the acoustics was also very different. So there are no echoes or if there are echoes, they come from the opposite shore of the lake. So they come from, from very far. Okay, so that's really interesting. So already we, we can say we don't know what they thought about that, but we do know that there would be associations with soft sand and pine trees and water with home and um, and the echoing with this special place that you would go to for, you know, whatever purposes. So we do yeah, know certainly. that they would have had that, that would have meant home for them when they heard those kind of sounds. It would have felt, uh, I guess, familiar and domestic. Yeah. Yes, and it, you, can, you could say that Perhaps this echoing was, uh, in a way, it was not familiar. It was perhaps even frightening that uh, if you, if you thought that it's a spirit sound, it's, it's this kind of place is definitely not the place to live because there is this spirit and it, it kind of speaks if you, if you speak and makes noises back. Yeah, a busy place, a, a yeah, a place where there's too much going on. Yeah, and not soothing. Yeah, yeah. So um, tell me what else you would like to know then in future about past sounds. Well, what fascinates me most is these uh, things where you understand that, that people were hearing or perceiving or thinking or understanding in a different way than us. This is what I feel is interesting and this is what I want to understand and learn. Yeah, you'd like to know a bit more how they perceived uh, their environment, which is obviously very difficult, isn't it? But that's what you would love to yeah. understand better. Yeah. So what what were we thinking and how how they did 
did see the world around them, that the world that was in many ways similar to us, but what they understood differently, how the same, same world can be understand in a different way. Yeah, very much. And you're so you're also paying quite a lot of attention to uh, how they felt, which is kind of interesting. It, we started talking about um, how people thought at first, oh, they couldn't have had music because music must come from somewhere else and is sophisticated and they're not. And you're centering them and you're you're thinking of them as uh, as humans yes. and like us. Yeah, certainly. And I, li I like this feeling that I feel that the, the, those past societies or past people are teaching to me that uh, my own way of thinking or hearing is not the only alternative. Again, it seems like sound leaves more traces, more of a record than I'd ever thought it would do at first. It does take a certain sideways look, though, at the records of the past to hear what was going on. So, like Mark Smith, for example, talking about how you can actually pick up any historical text, including a novel, and see loads of references to sounds, which I, I had never noticed and thought about before. Uh, and Guang Chen Ha who realised that people can speak a language with a certain accent and, and a certain pronunciation and not realise how much information that could give you about who used to speak it and um, how, what they used to say in the past until someone like him, an outsider, comes along and hears that information about the past. And today, going back even further to the prehistoric era. So apparently there's no historical record and yet there's so much evidence of what things sounded like. And even more amazingly to me, not just what they sounded like, but all the evidence there is about feelings about sound, about tastes in sound that people had so long ago. The, the associations that different sounds and different acoustics would have had. One would have been the sounds of home and rest and family and the other with something much more intense and much more extraordinary. I've already got some more interviews recorded uh, and some ideas for more, but I'm going to have a break now for a little while. So if you have a suggestion for people that I should interview for future episodes, please leave a message on the website. The link should be in the blurb wherever you're listening. And especially I'd love it if you know any researchers outside Europe and North America, I'd really like to know about them. Uh, and they could be amateur historians, professionals, it doesn't matter. Past Sounds is written and presented by me, Abigail Wincott. Thanks to my interviewee, Dr. Rita Reinio. The Sounds of the Finnish Lakes were by Rita Reinio, Just Kidink and Poisson Moore. And music was by Silicon Transmitter. And you can find links to Rita's work on the website. Mm -hmm.